This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We've got a lot of people who have their eyes and designs on their own dream jobs. They might be in grade 2 and dreaming of being an astronaut still. They might be in grade 9 and having no idea what it is they want to do. They might be in grade 12 and really having to start to piece some things together. And they are all due to head back to school in some form in about a month and a half. What will this look like? How will this be carried out? We still have an awful lot of things to figure out, but we do have an opportunity to get some information based on information that has come out from the Thames Valley District School Board in the form of a survey that was done of Thames Valley families. 43,000 people responded to this. That's pretty amazing. Let's welcome the director of the Thames Valley District School Board, Mark Fisher, to London Live. Mark, thanks so much for being here. My pleasure. How are you doing today? Not too bad. 43,000 respondents to a survey. I'm hoping that this wasn't done by hand. I think you'd probably still be counting up results. Yeah, it just shows the interest and uh, the uncertainty, and people are looking for answers. Well, let's talk about what answers you were looking for in doing this survey. What did it focus on? I think the first thing we wanted to know is, as a parent, would you be willing to send your child to school? And interestingly enough, we had about uh, 75 to 80% of our parents indicate that, yes, they were, would like to send their child to school as long as we can provide a safe environment. And then we had about 20 to 25% of parents that said, no matter what, at this stage, they're still not ready uh, to send their kids to school, so we have to think about continued distance learning platforms to, to meet those needs. How do you feel about those numbers in terms of the size of those numbers and the response that you got? I mean, it's a pretty challenging uh, situation that we're faced with. When you look at it, we have over 80,000 students, so if you have 20,000 or so that aren't yet ready to come back, uh, and 60,000 are, uh, and then the ones that are ready to come back, we have limitations about how many people can be in a building at any one time, physical distancing, health protocols. Like This is a monumental task trying to get everything ready for September, but, but we're on top of things. Mark Fisher joining us from the Thames Valley District School Board. He is the director, and we are talking about a survey that was done asking about children returning to the classroom in September. A huge response has come in, but as Mark has outlined, you've got big numbers on either side of those who feel that they would be ready to send their kids back to school and those who would not. We're still waiting as members of the public to hear from the Ministry of Education exactly how this will play out. We know that there are three scenarios. Uh, are we are we led to believe that this could be something that, that is, I guess, an individual board-type decision in any way? Will there be differences from board to board? So really what the ministry has asked us to do is develop three models, a traditional face-to-face model, but with all kind of extra protocols around health and safety, a distance learning model, but with more regular contact between students and teachers, and then what's probably more likely at this stage is a blended model where students will be spending part of their days in school and part of their days doing distance learning. We'll meet with the ministry at the end of the month. They'll approve these models, and then they'll let us know in August which one that we'll implement. But I do think that it's really important for the community to know that it's highly likely that we could be moving between models depending on what the COVID-19 situation is like in the broader community. 
Right, and that could be happening during the school year. Well, it's likely it could happen in the school year. So let's say, for instance, we start at a blended model. We do that for a month or two. Things calm down, and we return in a full face-to-face model. But then there's a second wave of COVID, which many of our partners in the health units indicate is likely. We may have to revert back to distance learning for a time, or there may be certain parts of the district that are in distance learning while other parts are in face-to-face. So we just have to be prepared to pivot on a dime's notice. Mark Fisher joining us, director of the Thames Valley District School Board. As we look about the return to school and we look at how families are feeling about the return to school and large numbers on both sides are essentially feeling that, yeah, they're ready or no, they're not quite ready and there are still three models. So those three models that you talk about, I mean, I'd be looking at my watch right now going tick, tick, tick. It's July 15th. If you don't know till August what's going on or a date in August, if anything has to be prepared, do you have enough time or are, are educators being asked to have all three models ready to go when, when kind of the school bell rings? Yeah, our, our expectation is that we're going to be ready for all three models. We understand for parents it's a challenge. We know parents have also issues around childcare. Uh, we recognize these realities. We hope to have approval by the ministry as soon as possible. We hope to then share this early August-ish, which would give people approximately about four weeks before the start of school. But I, in terms of our staff, our teachers, our principals, all our support staff, we need to be prepared to move between models at, at, a, at a moment's notice, depending on really what the uh, impact of COVID is in the broader society. Because ultimately, we have two challenges. We need to keep everybody safe, and we need to keep high-quality learning moving forward. When we look at the quality of learning, is there anything that we learn from the delivery of kind of the the at-home, at-distance learning model that will be changed or or improved if we go to September and have to use some of that? Well, I appreciate that question. We're about to launch another survey next week that is specifically around what the student and parent experience was around distance learning. So we want to know from the community what worked well and where do we need to improve and get better. Because don't forget, we basically did this uh, in a couple of weeks without any advance notice. So we are committed to improving the quality of learning that happens in a distance forum, having more regular contact between students and teachers, and really picking out what worked really well and building on that so that we do recognize that there will be some students, if not most, that have uh, a distance learning experience next year. Yeah, I keep comparing it to getting all of the individual parts to a car on a Friday night, and you're told, okay, have this up and driving on Monday. You can't be blamed if one of the signal lights doesn't you know, flash left, or if you can't connect your, your Bluetooth to the car because you've been putting together all of these parts. So does this give you at least a little bit more learning time? Has there been communication with teachers to, to talk about how that could be improved already? Yeah, that's a great example, and if you don't mind, I may use that in in future. Uh, but <laughs> but we definitely are, are talking with our teachers and are talking with our staff and also our parents and our students about what are the things that actually worked. And we had tremendous progression in terms of comfort on that di- on those digital platforms. We know many students really enjoy that kind of interaction, while others miss that face to face. But one of the key lessons from that is that we need ongoing and regular contact between student and teacher, whether it's face-to-face or virtual. And that needs to happen, you know, pretty much on a daily basis. Mark Fisher joining us, director of the Thames Valley District School Board. Mark, one final thing, and that is, could we see a, a split in ages where we have 
you know, certain ages, you think about how difficult it must be to deliver education to somebody who's seven years old from a distance or somebody who's four years old from a distance, whereas if you're 14, 15, 16, might be a little bit of a different story. Would that be part of the plan that one type of age group would get one thing, another type might get another? I think we're looking at best practices for each age group. One of the things uh, I want your listeners to know is that we are committed at the elementary level to keep families together if we have to go to a blended model. Uh, and in secondary, we are committed to doing that unless, of course, course selection or choice precludes that uh, from happening. One of the things we're learning is a lot of the daycares are now reopening, so we've been out visiting those daycares to see how they're doing it. So that's a great kind of example for, for us to learn from some of those best practices. And we're also watching closely what's happening in some other jurisdictions. So this is all new for us. Uh, but we are uh, flexible, we're adaptable, and, and we're going to make sure that we continue to move things forward. So by the end of the month, meeting with the ministry early on in August, getting the directive, and then things are put in place. That's where we sit? That's exactly where we sit. And I, I also want to, to reiterate that uh, we will do all of those things. We'll have contingency plans because the plan that we make and release, say, on August the 10th, uh, we're hope to implement for the first day of school on September 8th, but it may have to change quickly. So we're going to be prepared to move as we do, and uh, we'll always be communicating, and we're certainly uh, open to coming on to talking to you and, and sharing uh, the latest updates. Well, you've been great at, at keeping us up to date. So, Mark, thank you so much for that, and thank you for the time this afternoon. Yeah, anytime, Mike. Stay in touch. Yep, you too. Take care. Bye. That's Mark Fisher. He's the director of the Thames Valley District School Board. So you'd love to have the ideal situation where school started tomorrow, and then you could say, okay, now we can look and, and we know how many cases there are. We had a, a big low in Ontario. We had a second straight day of zero cases in Middlesex, London. Here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. Another month can mean more improvement. Another month can mean a flare-up. Another month can can mean just about anything anymore. So that's the way it sets out. That's the way they're doing it. And we're up to date. We'll keep you up to date on anything we can. We will get a local update on how the fight against COVID-19 is going in about 20 minutes from now from the City of London and from the Middlesex London Health Unit. Are we heading toward mandatory masking? We talked earlier about the study that was outlined by Dr. Chris Mackey, the medical officer of health, and it came out of Boston, but it showed that masking between patients and healthcare professionals made a difference. We're heading toward that, maybe slowly. So we will talk about that in 20 minutes. Let's take a COVID break right now. And is there a better way to take a COVID break than to fill our minds with music that has been around us going back into the 80s and music that just, it it is something that fits the summer months, the good times, and at the same time, music that, that can also touch you and touch your heart in different ways. And it's been put together by a man who has just been inducted into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame, and also who is out with his first album in 13 years. Some may wish for city streets, jewels 
The unmistakable voice of Kim Mitchell, who has the big fantasize ready to go. That is the track Wishes, and here is Kim Mitchell himself. Kim, thanks for taking some time for us. Hey, Mike, how are you doing, man? Not too bad. Not too bad. Congratulations on being inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. That is a select group of people. It sure is. That one caught me by surprise, and you're right. It's a so I always say it's a select group of dysfunctional people um (laughs) well yeah i mean joni mitchell and neil young and leonard cohen and gordon lightfoot i kind of wonder if they know who i am like if we got together for a group shot where they go oh we thought you're gonna be a girl you know no 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 they know who you are don't worry (laughs) about that when you're writing songs though you mentioned you know you use the word dysfunctional but in writing songs can you actually get up, feel really good, really happy, and and write something that will grip people? Or is this a thing where you've got to be going through a whole bunch of moods to create a piece sure. of music? That's that's a great question. Well, I actually have written really up stuff. Uh, I am a wild party, rock and roll duty, patio lanterns. Those are those are happy happy moments. But uh, my my comment was more to do with I find songwriters to be a little deeper, a little uh, they you know Joni's had relationship troubles. There's there's been addictions in some with some of these artists. So I'm just saying that life was not all roses for these people. But that sort of became their fuel for the material that they produced their whole life. So I figured when I when they told me the news, I went, man, I'll fit right in. But you got to live life, com- right? Yeah, exactly. The funniest comment, actually, when, when when they first made an announcement of that, the first email I got was from Miles Goodwin of April Wine, and he sent me an email, and all it said was, what's a guy got to do? <laughs> and I, I wrote him back and said, Miles, it's nice to get something before you just once in my life. So. <laughs> Kim Mitchell joining us on London Live. Kim, you're, you're kind of you're... – you have a song that's out now. You have an album coming out. You've been through this a few times in your career. Is it different now than maybe the first or second time that a song and an album come out? Uh, it, well, it all feels a little bit different now just uh, simply because um, I have done it decades and decades, and I really hadn't planned on doing a record, another record, until my producer came along. He heard the songs on this rec- the demos, and he said, this is a side of you, man, that you do really well, and your fans really need to hear this side of you more. Sort of like the All We Are, the Easy to Tame, Diamonds, Diamonds on the Road, a little bit lighter stuff. He said, these songs are beautiful. Let's Please come to Los Angeles and let's record these. So that's what ended up happening. But yeah, it feels nice. I'm pretty proud of it uh, so far. Being where you are in the music industry, you have kind of choices as to where you want to record. Do you, when someone says, "Hey, we, we've got to put these tracks down," do you start thinking, "Okay, where are we going to get a certain sound, or or where am I going to get that certain vibe?" Well, well that's a good question. Um, my producer Greg Wells, actually, is a former Canadian, was from Peterborough. He went down into Los Angeles twenty years ago. And he's produced number one songs by Keith Urban. He did uh, Apologize by uh, One Republic. He's uh, got a song on Adele's 21 record. He did up most of the Katy Perry records. He's worked with Pink. 
um, all kinds of artists. And he's got a specialized studio down there after 20 years of buying gear. And he's actually has won a Grammy um, and did the soundtrack for uh, uh, a couple a couple plays or a couple motion pictures. You know, uh, The Greatest Showman being one of them. When he said, come to Los Angeles to my studio, let's record this. I'm like, well, that's amazing because I can just drop my shoulders and, and be inspired and play guitar as opposed to being worried about what's it sounding like? Is this okay? I have an experienced producer I'm working with. So that's why I jumped at it. Now, does he call Peterborough the center of the universe? Because my wife actually grew up with Greg Wells, and my wife is convinced oh, okay. Peterborough is the center of the universe. And people from Peterborough seem to have this real passion about it. I know you're from Sarnia. You know, I was yep. born in London, so we might we might think that these places are are the center of the universe. But there's something about Peterborough. I don't know. Well, you know, I, his brother is also a producer who worked with Justin Bieber and and all kinds of uh, cool pop artists. So. All of my only my only association with Peterborough actually is there's a park there called Del Crary Park and they have something similar to what London has like Balloon Fest down in uh, was that Harris Park right is that what it's called Yeah that was at Harris yeah, Park yeah. for years yeah, Harris yeah I played Harris Park many times and so Del Crary Park is sort of similar and they have those outdoor festivals so there's always a lot of people come out to those shows i just love those outdoor things i i, I know it, it peeps the neighbors off sometimes but hey man it's summer and, and it, it stops by 11 and it's only a couple nights a week and stuff like that so but that's but yeah and greg wells was reverend wells little son and uh you know the reverend came to a couple of our shows when greg was in my band at 17 <laughs> um, well, he had a funny story. He said that Greg, when the organist couldn't make it to his church, he'd have Greg play. And Greg said when the congregation was coming in, he, he would play Black Sabbath tunes, and nobody nobody knew what we was playing <laughs> on the organ. So. That's amazing. We're talking with Kim right. Mitchell. Yeah. Kim has a new album coming out, The Big Fantasize, and leading in, we heard a little bit from Wishes. Now, Wishes is something that if you look at the lyrics, I mean, this, you mentioned that, you know, there, there's a certain type of music on this album, but the lyrics are amazing. Where did these come from? Uh, Ten years ago, Mike, the, uh, I was in a waiting room, and uh, it's a good thing I didn't pick up the outdated Reader's Digest that day. Um, there was a book of poetry sitting in this waiting room, and I picked it up because I never pick up poetry books, but I opened it up the middle and this poem called Wishes was was there, and I read it. It was by A.C. Child. And by the end of reading the poem, I was filling up. I was like, my God, I love this. This is, like, so beautiful. It's, you know, about you can wish for wealth and you can wish for beauty, and there's but there's other simpler things in life, too, that we can wish for along with that um, that give you just as much satisfaction, and hopefully you'll get some of those before you die. And it was just, that was kind of the message. And I was like, wow, I want to write this into a song so bad. So I got the book, wrote wrote it pretty quick, actually, 10 years ago, but realized also as a song now, it's not complete. And that process took me 10 years to finish it. I would, I'd come at it and I'd, I knew there was something missing, a few things missing. And so over the years, I worked on it until about five, six months ago, I was singing and playing it and got to the awkward part and closed my eyes, stopped playing the guitar, and just started to sing the melody. And I went, there, there's the missing piece. It sounds like it belongs. And the song was like, yes, yes, that's it. More of that, more of that. And a couple hours later, I was done. And, and I was 
couldn't be happier because it doesn't sound like pieces fit together. It sounds like the song just has a nice flow to it. Kim Mitchell joining us on London Live. How about putting together an album? Because if you go 13 years between albums, now you've had a lot going on. You had a heart attack through all of this. You're you're doing okay that way? Yeah, thank you. Thanks, yeah. Good. Yeah, Glad to yeah, hear I it. Electric, I have electrical problems, and I have plumbing problems. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, hey, you know what? Have arrhythmia? Yeah, it's okay. We're, we're still here. So it's all good. Yeah, that's right. And, and this new album is coming out even through all of that but you go 13 years even though you've had other projects and other things you've been doing you must have a lot of songs that are there that that could go on this how do you choose what you're going to use and what you're not greg and i sat down i had about uh the studio it's a full-length studio album nine songs and then there's going to be four live tracks as well greg and i sat down and went over about 20 songs and he helped me pick he's you that's the role you want you want an objective ear you know, of course, a songwriter is going to like every song he does, but you need that objective ear and that experienced ear to go, mm, this fits, but I'm not so sure about that one. And I'm not so sure. And as I say, the album was almost done before I gave him wishes because I was just finishing and I went, here, man, what do you think of this? And he was like, wow, he says, I think that's like one of the most beautiful songs you've ever written. Let's Let's get it recorded. So is it true that if we go back in time, is it true that Patio Lanterns almost didn't make it onto yes. an album? Is, it, is yes. that true? Yes. That's exactly what you're talking about. Um, we had over-recorded for Shaken Like a Human Being, and there was two songs that had to come, come off. And we had the meeting, and everyone was like, so what do you want to take off? And they looked at me, and I went, well, I'd take off Patio Lanterns, because I said it took me three days to sing. It was a struggle to record. I said, if I don't hear it again, I'd be okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing and, I, and, and so what kept people, it on uh well everyone else in the room which was a record company my manager they were like no no man patio lanterns is like a sweet innocent cool lyric and song and we think it should go on it has some beautiful images in it of you know the first kiss and the first dance like let's let's put that on you know, you were asking about re- recording an album. There's, I have one thing, odd thing that I think I, I do that maybe some other musicians don't do, and that is every Friday I quit the business because you, when I'm recording, I work and I work and work. By the by, Friday rolls around. You've you've been up and down. You have all those emotions you were talking about, and uh, I, my co-writer has this, has emails from me. He says, "Do you know, like for about two months, every Friday you quit the business." <laughs> And it seems to work out. It works out. As long as you get back into the business. That's what I do. Monday, it's like, okay, I guess let's go. Let's try it again. (laughs) Well, Kim, this uh, we could talk forever. Thank you so much for all the time you've given us this afternoon. Uh, The big fantasize. Is there there even an official release date in music anymore? Is that a thing anymore? It used to be a big thing. No. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Especially because of COVID, there's no manual. So we're just holding off until we think it's right. And plus manufacturing, we're doing some uh, vinyl and some CDs. So that's, we have to wait for that too. Great stuff. Well, Wishes is out there and you can find that everywhere. And please find it, listen to it, look at the lyrics, listen to it again, because it is phenomenal. Kim, this has been an absolute blast. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, thank you. Thanks a lot. Have a great day and stay healthy. And say hi. Say hi to Take everyone care. in London. All right. Bye bye. All right. Say hi to Greg Wells from my wife, please. <laughs> That's Kim Mitchell.
Let's play a game of fill in the blank. Dating is hard. I don't know. It's been a while. I have no idea. Before this pandemic began, I would look at dating and say, man, I'm glad I'm married. That's what I would say. Because dating during any time is hard. And then you throw in, well, where should we go? And for the first while, the answer was uh, nowhere. We're uh, we're both going to sit on our couches and have a Zoom call? I don't know. What do you do now? There are so many unknowns in the dating world as it is. And then you throw in the unknowns of the pandemic and COVID-19, and you're left with unknowns to the power of unknowns. I don't even know what that totals. We'd need a mathematician. Well, we have something better than a mathematician. We have a conversation now with Global News reporter Laura Hensley, who's been looking at people dealing with dating during COVID-19. Laura, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Were you also, I think we there was a, a, a chorus radio memo and a, a chorus entertainment memo that said, were you not getting married at some point during all of this? <laughs> I was supposed to be getting married next month, but obviously that has uh, taken its own plan. So hopefully it'll happen next year. But honestly, the pandemic has upended every aspect of life. So I don't even know what's happening anymore. Yeah, wow. Well, you know what? It it takes you away from having to deal with dating, but you'll be able to write a number of other stories at globalnews.ca all about what happens when everybody gets their dates for their wedding back going again. I mean, would you take a wedding date of not two in the afternoon, but two in the morning? Is that going to have to be a thing? Honestly, I don't know. I think every aspect of dating and relationships right now is being tested. You have people who can't get married, and then you have people who can't even go on dates. So I think a lot of people are just in this constant stage of their lives feeling like they've been put on pause because of the pandemic. And especially if you're single and you're trying to meet someone, it is really, really hard right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go into some of the things that you have found. We're talking with Laura Hensley from Global News about dating during the pandemic. You were able to speak with somebody who is actually trying to date in the pandemic. What did you learn? Yeah, so I spoke to a few people who've been dating right now, and one of them has said that his entire process has changed. He said that it's so much work now getting ready for a date because not only do you have to sort of establish a connection with someone before, usually this is done through a dating app, but you need to make sure you're on the same page when it comes to your health and safety measures. You know, there's some people who are really strict with their physical distancing, their mask wearing, they want to keep that six feet, and there's other people who are a little bit more lax. So you really need to make sure that you're on the same page when it comes to COVID. So that's number one. And then number two, this guy said that he has to find creative ways to go on dates because really, you know, we know being outside is safer than inside. So the options are hiking, going to the park, going on a bike ride, or if you live near a beach, you can have a little beach picnic. But, you know, it's not like you can go to a bar, you know, maybe you can soon, but it's not like you can go to a restaurant or a bar or concert the way you could before all this happened. Yeah, and you think about trying to get to know somebody, which is usually one of the first parts of the date, at least from what I can remember. But hiking, it'd be hard to get to know somebody on a hike as you huff and puff up a hill. 
I mean, you know, you probably learn pretty early on if you can hold a conversation. You know, one thing that's sort of been interesting in this whole pandemic dating space is that if you can't hold a conversation with someone when you have no distractions, so you don't have a concert to, to keep you occupied, you don't have a movie theater, you'll know pretty quickly if you have anything in common. So I think in some ways, it's making it easier to weed out people that you just don't have a future with. And if you can have fun doing nothing, that's a pretty good sign. That's true. That's that's an excellent sign because parts of life do have a lot of, well, we're not doing much, but we're still getting along. We're joined by Laura Hensley right now from Global News as we talk about dating during the COVID-19 pandemic. You got to talk about a, what a team of researchers at the Kinsey Institute have been working on with regard to a study of sex and relationships during COVID-19. What sorts of things are they uncovering? Yeah, so not surprisingly, the researchers found that people are going on fewer physical dates. So a lot of people, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, were really relying on technology. So FaceTime, Zoom, you know, whatever, whatever ways they could connect online because it was safer. Now they're finding that people are getting more comfortable meeting in person, but the intimacy piece is still not fully there. You know, people have reported that their sex lives are affected negatively. They don't feel as comfortable meeting up with people. So let's just say that there's not as much excitement happening, according to their research, as there was pre-COVID. And then I suppose when you get to a certain place, you kind of have to figure out, is this person even safe to hang around? Because our social circles are still, even going into stage three, supposed to be limited to 10 people. And that seems to fill up really fast. And six degrees of Kevin Bacon seem to create the, or grow that into 200 really fast. So there is, there's kind of the talk that people will have. What sort of things do they have to find out about each other in order to feel comfortable even hanging out so that they can do something outside of a Zoom call or FaceTime? Oh, for sure. I mean, normally when you date someone, you don't necessarily want to scare them away by asking them, are we exclusive on the first date? But now those serious talks about exclusivity are happening much earlier because, like you said, we're sort of in these bubbles right now to really promote health and to, to sort of curb the spread of COVID-19. So you got to say to your date, hey, listen, are you dating other people? Because that might affect how comfortable you are dating them. And then on top of that, if you do start to date someone, you kind of need to tell the people in your bubble, hey, I'm introducing someone else into my circle right now. How do you feel about that? Because right now, our decisions don't only affect us, they affect those around us. So a lot of people I spoke to said that they're really being forced to, you know, have that talk about are you seeing other people really, really soon, which probably would not happen if we weren't in an age of COVID. Man, this is complex. And you wonder how many of these things will kind of hang around, hopefully after we get through this pandemic whenever that might be but we're talking with laura hensley from global news about dating during the pandemic if you want to read the entire article that laura has put together i've tweeted it out at stubs 980 on twitter as a final thing though laura people are still willing to do this it's not like you looked around and said hey are you dating no you no 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 you are still finding people willing to do all of these things in the time of a pandemic you know, loneliness is something we're all feeling right now, whether we have a partner or not. And so people don't want to put their lives on hold. 
So people are really still dating. Like I said, you know, there's measures in place and it doesn't look the same way, but people still want to find love. And who knows how long it'll be before we can go back to the way life was. So while there's risks and while people are taking precautions, a lot of people are optimistic there's someone out there for them. That's at least the silver lining in all of this. Laura, great work on this. Thanks so much for sharing it with us. And stay safe and, and good luck with your nuptials next summer. <laughs> next, I hope they happen next summer. I'll keep you guys posted. If not, we'll have to do some follow-up on uh, Plan B. Definitely. Definitely. Thanks for the time. Thanks so much. Bye. <laughs> That's Laura Hensley. She is a Global News reporter and is planning on getting married still and that's that's the good news that's a test of a relationship hey we're gonna get married actually no we're not we're gonna put it off for another year or maybe longer is that okay and so that, that's that's a good little test to have but people are definitely still dating you just have to have the talk and you have to be far more upfront than you've ever been before You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.